lesson tonight, um, we're in lesson three. Um, we're going to have our prayer time at the end of the service rather than uh, at this moment when we normally have it. We're going to have it at the end of the service. It has bothered me since uh, the beginning of December when we had to break off having these lessons. It has bothered me. What was supposed to be like a six-week series has turned into like a 12-week series <clears throat> because we've had holidays and nights off and various things going on that were absolutely important, and we, we, we don't want to minimize the things that we've been doing. <clears throat> but it's resulted in uh, us taking a lot longer to get through these lessons, and there's about seven of them, I think. If I remember correctly, I've got all seven. I know I have six ready to go. I may have a seventh, but... <clears throat> um, so it's taken us longer to get through, and it, it bothered me for a long time. I, I was struggling with it, you know, that we're not getting through this is not... Uh, uh, continuity to what we're doing, and I don't like, like it when there's not continuity. Um, but I've decided not to worry about it. If it takes me to the end of February, it takes me to the end of February, because what I'm going to talk about tonight, some of the things I'm going to talk about tonight, if I get to it, are so vitally important. That, you know, I just need to move past giving you answers to fill in blanks and I really need to, to stop and, and give you a message and make sure you understand the significance and the importance of what I'm talking about. And so tonight we're in lesson three. So let's bow our heads together for just a moment. Let's pray and then we're going to get started. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I thank you for where we have been thus far. It has been a month since we've been able to be together and study uh, in uh, this series of lessons, and Lord, I pray that you'll bring to our mind the things that we have learned already, and Lord, the things that we are yet to learn, things that are coming in the, in the next few weeks, I pray, Lord, that uh, you will use them to drive home the importance of every one of us being a part of the commission, every one of us doing our part to bring others to Christ, to his church, and getting them involved in the great commission. So, Lord, speak to our hearts this evening. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. In the very first lesson that took us two or three weeks to get through, we talked about bearing fruit. Uh, it ought to be the natural thing that every Christian is bearing fruit, and that involves obviously the fruit of the Spirit, that involves uh, the fruit of praise and other kinds, but it involves the fruit of other believers. It is the natural thing. It should be the supernatural thing that happens in the life of believers that God is using us to reproduce other believers in Christ. That, that should be just an accepted fact, that I, I'm, I'm going to be an instrument in the hand of God bringing forth the fruit of others to believe in Christ. I'm, I'm going to be sharing my faith. I'm going to be talking to others about Christ. I'm going to be leading them to, to Jesus. I'm going to be bringing them under the sound of the gospel. That's just what we do. That's just what we do. Now, to do that, you've got to have grace and truth. People have got to know the truth about who they are, what their problem is, what Jesus has done for them. They've got to know the truth. They've got to see their greatest need, and they've got to see the greatest Savior. And so you've got to have truth, but you've got to have grace. Truth reveals the problem. Grace applies the solution. Uh, grace rushes in. Once you see the desperate circumstances in which we find ourselves outside of Jesus, grace comes rushing in, and grace brings the answer that all of us need. Amen? 
Do you remember where you were when God's grace found you? Do you remember what was going on in your life when the truth had taken hold of you about who you are and what you were and uh, what your need was and the grace of God was presented to you and you were so glad for somebody to tell you the solution and the answer. Do you remember where you were? Do you remember what was going on in your life? You 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 need grace and truth. Well, we want to combine these two. We talked about uh, truth, and then we talked a little bit about grace. We want to combine these two uh, because you got to have both of these. Jesus was full of both what? Grace and truth. He was full of both grace and truth. He wasn't just truth without grace. He wasn't just grace without truth. He was equally in every way, perfect in every way when it comes to grace and truth. We need to be people of grace and truth. Now, when it comes to talking to people about grace and truth, number one, combining the two ingredients, that is grace and truth, in a confident presentation. A confident presentation is a mixture that will bring others to Christ. We've got to be able to talk about the gospel in a, in a, in a way that demonstrates our confidence in what we're saying uh, where people understand the conviction of our hearts as we're saying it, and we're saying it unashamedly and without fear, and they see that sense of, of, of confidence, but then we also share the grace of God with that same confidence, that where sin abounds, what happens? Grace, what? Does much more abound. You see that? For by grace are you saved. And that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we've got to be able to have a confident presentation of both grace and truth. This is what you are. This is who you are without Jesus. This is what Jesus has done for you. Now, to do that, we have to receive a hearing to be effective. You've got to receive a hearing. I've been talking to a man who's an atheist. And my, my sole uh, approach has been to be a friend, to listen to him and to look for opportunities to slip in things that need to be said to begin planting the seeds. But you know what you got to do first? You first got to gain a hearing. Uh, you got to receive a hearing. That, you know, you just, there, there was a time I used to go door to door and I'd knock on doors and meet people that were strangers. You go door to door today and, yeah, well, we, not everybody we, we met door to door like this, Mary will remember, not everybody was happy we were there, but they weren't, they weren't nearly as resistant as people are today. And um, so we, we have to build bridges. We've got we to earn a hearing. We've got to receive a hearing to be effective. So how can you do that? You can do it with a revealing question. Obviously, you've got to build a relationship first. But once that relationship is developed, you've got to have a revealing question. That's one of the ways. And I've given you some of the questions. We talked about this in the last lesson, but there's some ways that you can ask questions. You don't like one of those questions? Okay, find a question. Something that opens the door for you to be able to tell them the truth about their, about their circumstances, their situation, and about the grace of God that can save them from their sin. You can do it with a radiant testimony. You can tell them your story. What was it I asked you to do when we finished uh, and took the break over the, the Christmas uh, season? What was it I asked you to do? You remember? Practice giving your 
testimony. I gave you seven steps from John chapter 9 about an effective testimony. How many of you remember that? I gave you nine steps about uh, seven, th- excuse me, seven things from John chapter 9 about an effective testimony. Uh, th- things that you want to be able to do with your testimony. And, you know, one of the most powerful things you can do is learn to, to give your testimony in a three or four minute, uh, uh, you know, talking to people in a three or four minute segment of time. You can do it with a relevant scripture. You can do it with a relevant scripture. Um, it may be that you're talking to somebody, and in the process of talking with them, you hear something that they say, and you say, you know what? I, I remember a scripture. Let me, let me find that scripture. Let me read it to you for just a moment. I've done that. So, can I show you what God says about that? And, and you read them a scripture, and that's, especially if they're hurting, especially if there's trouble, especially if there's reversals in life, especially if they're in a hospital, they're looking up. The only way they can look is up. There's an opportunity to get their attention, uh, to gain a hearing, Maybe not with a question or not with your testimony, but with a scripture. Can I show you something that God says about this? And the fourth one is that with a responsive concern. I'm going to give you something at the end of this series that rates the different events of life. The death of a spouse. The death of a child. uh, The different events. Not all of them are negative. Some of them are positive. The different events of life. Why would I give you that? Because you want to be watching the people that you... Or that you're, you're, you're a missionary to, you're around, that are in your network, you want to be looking, you, you want to see, <clears throat> somebody has the death of a spouse, there is a huge open door for you to rush in and do what? Give responsive concern. I'm here to love you. I'm here to listen to you. I'm here not to preach to you. I'm not here to give you trite answers. I'm here to just be a friend. I'm here to be kind. I'm here to do things you need to have done. And in the process, you're opening the way for you to be able to present the truth of the gospel and the grace of God. And so you can do that with responsive concern. Letter B, we must reveal the truth, though, to be effective, right? We must reveal the truth to be effective. We cannot hide the fact that people are lost and in sin. You know, it's very popular today not to talk about sin. Let's just not talk about it. Let's not. God wants to give you a better life now. Well, I want God to give you a better life now, but I want him to give you eternal life. And eternal life is more important than a better life now. Eternal life lasts, I don't know if you know this or not, but it lasts eternally. A better life now, it might get you an extra 10 years, but it ain't going to get you there eternally. You're not going to live here forever. People have got to have the truth. We have to reveal the truth. We have to be willing to say, look, the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've got to be able to say, for the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. We've got to be able to say that God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We've got to be willing to say that. You can take them to the law if you need to. You can take them to the law if you need to, if they don't see their sinfulness. Uh, Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever, in, in the course of your life, ever in the course of your life, you've ever taken something that you didn't get permission before you took it, you've taken something from somebody else, maybe from your office, maybe from your desk, maybe from the company, you took something that, that wasn't yours? Raise your hand. Okay. 
So not only do we have thieves in the room, we have liars in the room too. <clears throat> we got thieves and liars in the room. And who has not ever had not, don't raise your hand, please don't raise your hand. <laughs> who has not ever had a lustful thought? You see what I'm getting at? But taking them to the law, what are you exposing? You're exposing the reality that all of us fall short. All of us are in need. Number two, under letter B, make sure they understand the penalty for violating God's law. I don't think people understand this. I preached from John chapter 3, verse 16 on Christmas Day, if you were here on Christmas Day. And afterwards, Brother Richard Sexton came up and reminded me, you know, about chapter 3, verse 17, and what a beautiful verse it is. But then think about what he says in chapter 3, verse 18. He who believes in him is not condemned. But listen, he who does not believe is not going to be condemned, is condemned already. And the reason they're condemned already is because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. It can't be any clearer than that, right? Notice in verse 36, and he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Now, I don't necessarily say you lead by telling people that, but at some point you want to make sure to share that fact, that truth. That truth is absolutely necessary. Number three, then you lead them to the cross, the resurrection, and you ask them to believe in Christ. So you give them the truth. This is the reality of where we are, where we stand with God. This is what Jesus has done for us in dying for our sins and rising again so that he can give to us eternal life, the gift of eternal life. And all of that's possible because of Jesus. And you lead them to the place where you can ask them, will you believe in Christ? Letter C, we must request a response. We're talking about grace and truth and using them together. We must request a response to be effective. Now, it may be that you're talking to somebody early on and you're sharing the gospel and you're beginning a conversation about these things of Christ and you might not initially share the gospel. You might not initially ask them for a response while you're first sharing the gospel, but you got, you got to come to a point at some place where you ask for that response, Right? you got to ask for that response. Number one, when a person understands his condition, he will appreciate God's grace. Number two, salvation is not, it is not a life enhancement or a mere addition to our lives. We're not just adding another trinket to our bracelet. Look here, I got Baha'i over here, and I got Mormonism over here, and I got Catholicism right here, and I've got... We're not just adding another trinket to, trinket to a bracelet. To a bracelet. And number three, salvation. Now listen carefully. Here's where we're going to spend a little bit of time. Salvation is trusting in Christ alone for the gift of eternal life that brings the forgiveness of our sins. So how is a person saved? I pray. No. They may pray, but they're not saved by the prayer. They're saved by believing in Jesus Christ for eternal life. 
And there are people who have prayed a prayer and are going to die and go to hell because their, their uh, faith is in a prayer and not in Jesus. You get the difference? Notice, if you will, if understood properly, repentance and faith go together. They go together. But you got to understand repentance because here's the problem. I, I, I appreciate my Reformed friends, and, and I, they're, they're my friends. We're not enemies. They're my friends. But they sometimes make the salvation of Jesus very complicated. You, you've heard it, and, and this really bugs me. You know, I'm, I've been a Christian a long time and studying the Bible a long time. I'm not smarter than anybody else. But I'm just telling you, they make the gospel. You, you know, you got to feel sorry for your sins. Then you got to turn from your sins. Then you got to commit your life to Jesus. Then you got to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Then you got to be baptized and you got to be committed to following Jesus for the rest of your life. Can you make the gospel any harder than that? I mean, which step are we supposed to be doing? You know, okay, if I turn, if I'm, if I'm not sorry for my sins, can I not believe? You, you get what I'm saying? We, we have all these steps. There's only one step to becoming a, 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 a becoming a possessor of eternal life. It is believing in Jesus Christ for it. Period. Repentance is a change of mind about Christ that we want to lead to a change of behavior. Yes, but it's first a change of mind about Christ. I have preached an entire series of messages on this. I'm not going to go back and preach them again. I don't think you can find them online. I hope you remember them. You don't go to hell because you smoke or you drink or you lie or you chew or you spit. You go to hell because you don't believe in Jesus. I mean believe in Jesus for eternal life. That's why you go to hell. There's one sin that condemns you to hell. Okay, I got some strange looks. John chapter 3. Just, just go get, get your Bible out. Just get your Bible out. John chapter 3. Just get it right. Matter of fact, we're going to spend a good bit of time here for the next few minutes in John. So just, just keep your Bible open. Notice verse 13. Excuse me, verse 18. Well, let's just go back to verse 16. We could just go back to verse 1, but I'll think I'll start in verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world, listen, the world's already under condemnation. They didn't need Jesus to come and Increased the condemnation. Didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now listen, he who believes in him is not condemned. But now notice carefully, but he who does not believe, he who does not believe, he who does not believe. It doesn't say he who's smoking pot or he who's living in immorality or he who's cursing the name of God. All of those things are the fruit of a deeper root. 
He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. And why is he already condemned? Because he used God's name in vain? No, because he has because. Circle the word, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God, period. I want people to see that they're sinners and that they need the Savior. They're never going to be able to see their need of the Savior if they don't understand that they're sinners. But the sin that's keeping them out of heaven is the sin of unbelief. It is the sin of trusting in Jesus. Uh, I don't know what number, it's a little dot here. But repentance, but repentance in salvation is not an emotional response over personal sins or a change of behavior alone. I believe in repentance. I have repented many times in the course of my life. But repentance alone is not salvation, and repentance itself is not salvation. And it's not an emotional response. Have you ever seen the person who comes to an altar somewhere and years gone by and they wept huge tears and somebody else on the other side that didn't have any tears at all? Does that mean the person with all this emotion is more saved than the person who had little or no emotion? No, it means there's no, there's no difference between the two. If they both believe, they both got saved, regardless of the amount of emotion. Repentance is a change of mind about Christ especially so that you can trust in him alone for eternal life. When you're talking about repentance, I'm trusting my good works, I'm trusting my church, I'm trusting, you know, I'm a noble person, I'm an honest individual. You know, well, I want to show you that you're not as honest as you think you are. You're not as good as you say you are. The reality is we stand before God as sinners, but you got to know that, you got to understand that. But it's not those things that are going to condemn you to hell. It's that you have not believed in Jesus that condemns you to hell. Godly sorrow <clears throat> may work this kind of repentance, a change of mind about Christ, but so may the goodness of God. Look at 2 Corinthians 17. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. Sure, we love that verse. But what about Romans 2, 4? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? You know, sometimes it's seeing ourselves in our desperate circumstances and our desperate need of the Savior that causes us to turn and trust in Jesus. Other times, it's looking at God's forbearance, God's kindness, God's goodness, God's patience, and saying, this God has been so good to me that causes us to turn into trust in Jesus Christ. But this is a matter of changing your mind about Jesus. What are you going to do with Jesus? Our goal is to help people to see their sinful condition so we can point them to Christ. But now notice, the wrong approach to repentance says you need to feel a deep sorrow over your sins to be saved. Some people do, but that's not the way you approach it. Let me ask you a question. Do you even know all of your sins? So if you don't feel sorry for some of those, did you only partially get saved? Do you get my point? 
or you must be willing to quit your sins before you can trust in Christ. This is not about quitting your sins. This is about acknowledging you are a sinner. You need a Savior, and the only one who is the Savior is Jesus, and you've got to believe in Jesus. That's your only hope. Do we want them to quit their sins? Yes, but that's sanctification. Salvation takes place at the moment you believe in Jesus. I've said this before. I'm going to say it again. And and I know everybody doesn't agree with me on this. Don't come lecture me about it. I've been this way since I got here 40 years ago. This is what I believe. That's not just what I believe. This is what the Bible teaches. Most people are saved. When you give an invitation, most people are saved before they ever get to the altar and speak to somebody who deals with their soul. Because the moment they turned their heart to Jesus, that moment they were born into the family of God. And they may come down and say a prayer, say, Lord, I give my life to you. I'm trusting in you. I'm trusting in you alone. The reality is they're only confirming something that's already taken place. Are y'all with me? There may be some change of life in new converts that is dramatic and instantaneous. I love that when I see it. But it's also gradual and progressive, gradual and progressive as a person is taught how to be a devoted disciple of Jesus. And so let me just just, just narrow this down. There is a difference between believing in Jesus and being a disciple of Jesus. You believe in Jesus to become a disciple of Jesus, but you can be a disciple of Jesus and not be a believer You can be a disciple of Jesus and not be a believer. Judas, you can be a learner about Christ and a learner interested in the things of Christ and wanting to know more about Christ. You can be a learner about those things and not believe in Jesus. Or you can be like Nicodemus who was a believer in Christ but didn't really show that faith until the the crucifixion right? Remember Joseph and Nicodemus that came and did what? They asked for the body of Jesus. What had they been? They had been secret disciples. We want people to believe in Jesus. Then we want them to make the choice every single day to be a follower of Jesus. Let's not mix the two up. When I'm dealing with somebody's eternal soul, I'm not asking you whether you're going to be a follower or not of Jesus Christ. I'm asking you, are you going to trust in Jesus and in Jesus alone? And then I'm going to help them to see that every day of your life, now that he saved you from your sin, you want to give yourself to him again and again and again and let him sanctify you and make you what he wants you to be. And you become his disciple. You become a more devoted disciple. Believing is the entrance into discipleship. Don't get it backwards. And a lot of of my friends that I love dearly, they're my friends, and we argue this point with each other. We we don't agree with each other on these these matters. But the fact of the matter is you can't argue what the Bible says. Um, So let's let's just do this for a minute. I got 10 minutes before we have our prayer timer. Are you with me? We may not finish this lesson. But this is so important to me. This is so important to me because I I don't believe we should complicate the gospel. I don't believe we should complicate how a person is saved. 
I believe we need to make sure we're saying exactly what the Bible says. And we're careful about how we present it so that we're not saying you've got to feel sorry for your sins, you've got to turn from all those sins, you've got to be willing to commit your life to Jesus and believe in him, and you've got to be willing to follow him for the rest of your days. All of those things are important, and all of those things have their place. But the one question and the one issue is to, you know, whether you're a child of God or not is whether you believe in Jesus for the gift of eternal life. Just, just take your Gospel of John. I just, uh, it's a brand new Bible. I, I've been through, been through my Bible coloring again. I like to color in my Bible. <clears throat> you know, uh, I, I've been, look, look back to chapter 21. Well, I've, been, I've been coloring in my Bible. I, some, someday I'm going to say it. I'm not going to say it when it's being live streamed. We're going to be on television. But I don't believe everything in the Bible. And the reason I don't is because I've written a whole lot of notes all around the pages, and I, some of those things you know, might not be as 100% accurate as I wish they were. The things I've written, I don't believe. I mean, I believe them, but I don't know that they're, they're not inspired. That's my point. You, got, you follow what I'm saying? So if you ever hear, hear me say, I, I don't believe everything in my Bible. I'm talking about what I write in there. I'm not talking about what God writes in there. Now, I want you to look at what he says in John chapter 20, <clears throat> verses 30 and 31. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these, the Gospel of John, are written that you may believe. Now, what is the Gospel of John? The Gospel of John is the tract. If you're looking for a book to win somebody to Jesus, the Gospel of John is the great place for you to go. It is the, it is the track of the New Testament. It was written for the, for the purpose that people might believe. That they might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing, that believing, you may have life in his name. Isn't that what we want people to have? Now go back to John chapter 3. Go back to John. This, come on, let's go with me. Come on here. We've got to go here. We got, we got four, I got six minutes left. I really don't know how many minutes I got left. I'm just telling you numbers. Just, just. Notice verse 14, John chapter 3, verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That, what, what happened in the wilderness? Remember the snakes? They were biting people, and if they didn't, if they didn't get help, they were going to die. And they made a serpent, and they put it on a pole. And what did they have to do if they got bitten by a serpent? What did they have to do? They had to, what, what, was, what did they have to do? They had to look. They had, what does it mean to believe? What does it mean to believe? They had to look. There's that song, that great hymn, Look and Live. Uh, how does it go? Look and, look and Live. I'm trying to think how it goes. My, yeah, look and Live, My Savior Lives. Look to Jesus now and live. What does it mean to believe? Notice he goes on. He's using that Old Testament illustration of what he means by believe. Verse 15, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He says the same thing in verse 16. He says the same thing in verse 18. Look at verse 36. John chapter 3, verse 36. He that believes in the Son has everlasting life. That's the key. What does it mean to be saved? It means I believe in the, in the Lord Jesus for everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God is not going to abide on him. It already abides on him. Look at chapter 4. In chapter 4, remember the story of the Samaritan woman? Comes out to meet Jesus at the well. 
And she leaves her water pots. I believe that that's, that's the moment she believed in Jesus, went back into the city to tell everybody the man she'd met out here at the well. And what do the Samaritans do? They all come streaming out of the city, verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him. Verse, verse 41, a little bit later, it says, and many more believed because of his own word, not just because of her word, but because of his own word. Verse 42, then they said to the woman, now we believe. Look at the end of verse 42. What are we believing? The Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior of the world. You get it? Look over at chapter 5, verse 24. Chapter 5, verse 24, most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. Uh, let me go here. Look at chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 29. Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God. What is the work of God? That you believe in him who sent me. Look at verse 35 of that same text, same chapter. I am the bread of life. Who who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Now, here's an illustration. What, we can, what does it mean to believe? It means to look to Jesus. He's my only hope of God. I see who I am. I know what my problem is, and the only answer is Jesus. i got to look to Jesus. That's what it means to believe. It, it can be an, an illustration that you use when it comes to the matter of, uh, of hunger. I've got I've to receive him. That's the... That's that's a synonym. I've got to receive him. Notice what he says, verse 35. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty for the answer for your eternal, uh, your eternal soul? Well, Jesus is the answer. He is the living water. You partake of the living water, and the living water saves you from your sin. Are you all still with me? Verse 40. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. Look at verse 47. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Look down at verse 69, same chapter, verse 69. Also, we have come to believe. Now, sometimes it takes time, doesn't it? You're telling people about Jesus. You're explaining what their circumstances are, who they are, what the Bible says about them. You're telling them what Jesus has done for them. And their minds are, you know, my mind was that way. I mean, I was in church my whole life until I was 16, but it didn't click for me. It didn't make sense to me until 16 years of age. Verse 69, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Look at chapter 7, verse 38. Chapter 7, verse 38, he who believes in me, as the scripture is said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Oh, I like that passage, don't you? Or look at chapter 8, <clears throat> chapter 8, verse 30. And he spoke these words, and many believed in him. What does it mean to be saved? It means I believe in Jesus for the gift of eternal life. That's what it means. Notice chapter 9, remember the man that was born blind? Jesus has that encounter with him and heals him of his blindness, and the Pharisees aren't happy about it because it was done on the Sabbath day, and Jesus goes and finds this man after the synagogue leaders have put him out. Verse 38, he says, then he said, Lord, I believed. And he asked the question, who, who is the Messiah? Who is the Savior? Jesus says, I'm the Savior. What does he say? Verse 38, Lord, I believe. How was he saved? By believing. Whew, I'm working awful hard up here. Look at chapter 10, verse 42. 
chapter 10, verse 42, and many believed in him there. You get it? Uh, Look at chapter 11. Mary and Martha, Lazarus is dead. He's wrapped up in the grave clothes. He's behind a sealed tomb. Jesus walks out to the tomb. He calls him forth. Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus appears. Take the, grave clothes off. Take the grave clothes off that guy. He doesn't need those grave clothes on him. Take the grave clothes off of him. Right? <sighs> well, what happens when Jesus comes to town, before that all happens, before the resurrection of uh, the raising, I should say, of Lazarus takes place. Look at it, verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me. Though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And he asked the question. This is the question we ask everybody. Do you believe this? Do you believe that eternal life is in Jesus? Do you believe that Jesus is the only answer? Do you believe that there is no other hope outside of Jesus Christ? Do you believe that Jesus paid the penalty for your sins, rose again, lives today, saves those who come to him? Do you believe Verse 27, she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe. Look at verse 45, chapter 11. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did, what do they do? They believe in him. What chapter am I in? Look at chapter 12, verse 11. Because on account of him... That is, they saw the, the, the Lazarus who had been raised from the dead. And on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. Verse 42, same chapter. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. Listen, let me ask you a question. If you believe in Jesus, are you saved? John chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. It's a great thing to believe in God. That's not, that's not enough. Even the, even the demons believe in God. James chapter 2. He said, you believe in God. What does he say? Believe also in me. Let me skip some of these. Let me just skip to the, there, there's a hundred There's a hundred times in the gospel of John that the word for faith is, is used. A hundred times. Just turn over to chapter 17. This will be the last one. You're, already, you're about to go to sleep on me here. I'm just bantering with you, having fun with you, just trying to keep you awake, make you laugh a little bit so you don't go to sleep. <clears throat> John chapter 17. Jesus is praying, and he's praying for the disciples. But then I want you to notice verse 20. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. They're going to hear the truth. They're going to hear the truth about their desperate circumstances, that they are lost, that they are sinners, that they are separated from Christ. They're already under the wrath of God. They're already under the condemnation of God. And their only hope is Jesus. And if they believe that Jesus is their only hope, they instantaneously at that moment become a child of the living God and a possessor of eternal life. Period. Period. You say, well, they're not living like it. Well, that's a discipleship problem. The salvation problem was solved the moment they believed in Jesus. Are you with me? That's so important that we get it right. Please, when you're presenting the gospel, you know, 
You gotta, you gotta feel sorry, you gotta stop this, you gotta start that, you gotta commit to this, you gotta commit to that. That's, that's not the gospel. Here's the good news. This, this is the good news. This, this is the good news. The good news is that you are lost, going to hell, but Jesus is the Savior who's paid the penalty for your sins, and if you believe in him, you believe that he's done that for you, you immediately become a child of the living God. That's the good news. You say, well, that's, that's easy believism. You know, every time somebody says that to me, I want to slap them across the face. Mm, mm. I'm a loving guy, but I want to tell you, I take that as an insult. Easy? I thank God. He, oh, what's the opposite of easy? God's going to make it hard? Let's make it hard for him to be saved. What's, what's the opposite of easy? Hard? Let's make it as hard as we can make it for him to be saved. No, no, it's easy for us. It was hard for him. And he did it all for us. I, I, when I get to heaven and I stand before God, it, it, it doesn't happen this way. It doesn't, it's just the way we talk. Preachers talk this way. It doesn't happen this way. There's no, gold, there's no gates that you, you show up at and there's, the angel is waiting on you and going to say, you know, why should I let you in the gate? That didn't happen. I don't know if you know that or not, but it doesn't happen. Uh, you know, I heard about, uh, well, I'm not going to tell you that story. <clears throat> I'm thinking of a funny story, but I'm not going to tell you. But let's just suppose it did. Let's just suppose you get to heaven and you have to give a reason for why you're getting into heaven before you can get into heaven. You've got, you got to give an answer to, to, to Peter. You know, Peter said, I, I see you're here. You must have done something wrong. You're here early. What, what, you know, why should we let you into heaven? Well, I, it doesn't happen this way. But the answer is, are you ready for the answer? Because I have trusted Jesus Christ to be my personal Savior. And I have no other hope but him. You don't say, well, I got baptized when I was... You don't say, well, I was the friend of the preacher and I took him out to eat and bought him suppers and, you know, just took care of him and filled his car up with gas and brought him groceries and cleaned his house and cut his yard. That might help you. <laughs> might help you get into heaven. No, it won't. No, it won't. Not because you've confessed to the priest or you went and you did the, you did the sacraments. You don't get into heaven for any of those reasons. As a matter of fact, as soon as you add anything to believing in Jesus Christ, you cease to have the grace of God. Now you've got something we got to do. Now you're going to stand before him. You're going to say, I have, I have no right to have any interest into heaven except for Jesus. I don't get in because I'm a preacher. I don't get in because I married the greatest woman on the earth. I might get there sooner, but I'm, I'm not, I don't get to heaven that way. I don't get to heaven because I try to do the right things, and I don't get to heaven on that basis. I get to heaven because I, at 16 years of age, I said, Jesus, you're my only hope. I looked and lived. Now I live. I looked and now I live. I, I partook of the water. I received you as my Savior. You, you were the bread of life, and I, I took you into myself by trusting in you. I, I, my faith is in you. If, if that's not enough to get me there, None of us are going. Yeah. 
It's the only way you get into heaven. Don't complicate the gospel. I've read books that made the gospel so incredibly hard because they want to control a person's behavior after they've believed. Well, I'm not sure whether you're really saved or not. Well, there may be some discipleship issues that need to be dealt with, and people need to be taught and grow, and they need to mature in their faith. But I got news for you. If you have believed in Jesus Christ, you passed from death unto life. And it can happen sitting in a pew. It can happen at a church altar. It can happen listening to a preacher on a radio riding down the road. It can happen sitting around your dining room table, somebody telling you about what Jesus did for you, and you say to yourself, yeah, yeah, I believe that. Yeah, I believe Jesus did that for me. I believe that's what I'm trusting. I'm not trusting anything else. That's what I'm trusting. And instantaneously, you're made a child of the living God. We're going to pray together, and then we're going to go home. Look, if you don't agree with me, if you're a lordship salvationist, okay, okay, I got you. I understand where you're coming from. I just don't agree with you. We're not going to argue the point. It, I hate to have to prove other people wrong. <clears throat> I'm having fun. I'm having fun. Don't, don't, don't come looking me up. Don't write me the emails. Don't send me letters. Don't tell me I'm, I'm sending people to hell. No, we send people to hell when we complicate the gospel. When, when, you, when you go to a church and you say, when you go to a, a church that says to you, you've got to confess to the priest, you've got you to be a part of this church, you've got to be baptized into this church, and then you've got to take Jesus, the bread and the wine, every week, you've got to receive Jesus every single week, and you've got to follow all these different sacraments, that's sending people to hell. Or when you find somebody who says, well, what you got to do is you got to feel really bad about your sins. You don't even know all your sins to feel bad about. And then you got to turn from all your sins. You don't even know all your sins you got to turn from. Then you got to commit your life and you got to be baptized and you got to, you start adding things to it. You're sending people to hell with that message. The only way to stay out of hell is to believe in Jesus period. That's been my message for 40 years, and it's not going to change.